0: people are lazy. They use the same email, they use the same passwords. So you as a firm owner, you could put in your client's email addresses that they're using to log into their accounting system with, and you could provide a value to them and let them know that they probably need to change your passwords because your email and password have been breached.
1: Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. And it's uh, Friday before the week of Christmas winding down here.
0: This is the big shopping day, right? Everybody was shopping. That's last Friday.
1: I have to mail some stuff and I'm kind of worried about going to the post office this afternoon. There's probably a service, right? You could just have it picked up. You get an app or something and they'll do it. Scale, right? I'll just Uber all my packages to their destination this year.
0: I heard about a service like this, um, but really? it's really for overseas shipping. It's a mule. So, if you have a, like, extra room in your suitcase uh-huh. and I wanted to ship a bottle of wine to my friend in Italy, I don't know why I would do that, but I could pay... Oh, I would. I'd pay you to carry my Bottle of wine in your suitcase. Mm. And then I avoid a bunch of headaches of shipping. So it's it's like, I think it it might be called Mule or something. I'm not sure.
1: (laughs) That's a funny name. Uh, Hopefully, it is wine that you are carrying if you subscribe to this service or if you act as a mule. So we thought we weren't going to have a lot of stories to talk about, but I actually found a ton of stuff. We've got follow up on Bill.com and their IPO and investor scrutiny, talking head scrutiny, more like it. I've got a follow-up on the California fiscal fiasco with the accounting system that we're building here in California. The stories just keep on coming. And I've even got a really fun one about an accounting firm owner who had to change his name in order to make an acquisition happen, believe it or not. Changes his name or his firm's name? His name, his own name. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I,
0: I don't want to wait for this one now. You just gotta no, you, at uh, the risk of losing listeners. You gotta you gotta tell me now.
1: Okay. All right. So uh so this is my top story of the week. Aprio combines with leading North Carolina accounting firm LBA Haynes Strand. Aprio is a top fifty accounting firm. I think it's the only top fifty firm that doesn't have a traditional name where it's one of the partners' names based out of Atlanta. And uh, they're growing fast. They're a top 50 firm. They've been on acquisition spree. They are led by Richard Kopelman. He's the CEO and managing partner. And they were acquiring a firm in North Carolina. North Carolina is one of those states that still has a very traditional rule about CPA firm names, that the name of the partner or at least one of the partners has to be in the name of the firm. And Aprio doesn't. So, how could they acquire this firm in North Carolina? Well, They realized he changed
0: his last name to Aprio?
1: He changed his middle name. He added a middle name. So his name is (laughs) legally now Richard Aprio Copelman. Yep. Wow. So
0: that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Very innovative solution to a legal challenge. If you're if you're having this issue, if you're in a state where your state requires you to have one of your names in the name of the firm, then this is how you could get around it, apparently.
0: I love it, actually. I, I I love the big like sticking it to the government, man. Like, all right, that's your rule. Here we go. Yep, that's awesome. That's a good good find. I know it's it's funny. Uh, it's a
1: little legacy from you know back in the day, which wasn't that long ago. I think it's '70s when CPA firms weren't allowed to advertise and they had to have a traditional name. It's only been you know since then that like we've been able to operate like real businesses.
0: So I have a what stories I have? I have a password breach that everybody needs to be very aware of because I'm. Guarantee it affects 100% of your clients. Uh What else do I have? I got uh, bill.com. Yep. Again, negative st- stuff about that and why you sh- uh,
1: should not should not, not buy Okay, I've got the positive side, so we'll see.
0: Zero has a partnership with another payroll company. I'm kind of wondering if Zero is becoming a niche app for farmers. We can jump into that. Uh, another payroll startup. So, just even though last week we talked about or two weeks ago is the gold rush of startups for SaaS apps dead? New ones are still coming to the market. Teaser story: Since you gave away yours, I'll give a, a one away. Okay. So there's a tweet from Matt Path. It was from Australia and it was check payments per capita. And it basically shows the last five years, right? Oh, no, the last 20 years. 99 to 2019 to 20 years. 20 years of check usage per capita.
1: So, paper checks. Paper checks. Per person and, in Australia. And
0: spoiler alert, it's basically almost zero in 2019.
1: Yeah. It's an amazing chart. It speaks for itself. It's it's just amazing. Well, they went from over 40% back in, it looks like, early 90s to zero almost 0% in 2019. And yet uh in the US, I think we're in this we're in that situation where something like forty percent of payments, at least business payments for sure, are being made by checks still, maybe more. So
0: we still got twenty more years of checks. Yeah, I can't i I can't
1: remember exactly what the stat is, but it's a lot. Well, and that takes us to bill.com, right? The news about that. But I think yeah. before we talk about bill.com, we should read the review.
0: Yes, we had a great review this week on Podchaser.
1: So this is from Karen Bertrand of ClearCloud Bookkeeping LLC. I am totally not your target audience, owner of Tiny Potatoes Bookkeeping Practice. I've been a freelancer for years with my head in the accounting technology sand while the industry moved along and beyond me. I somehow woke up about six months ago and stumbled onto your podcast. You've helped to open my eyes to what's out there in the virtual accounting world and where it can lead me. I've turned my freelancing into a legit biz and your fun and informative podcast deserves at least a little of the credit. Thank you. that's pretty great to hear. And I would say, Karen, um, no, you are our target audience. This is for accountants, bookkeepers, all the way from freelancers up to big firms, especially those who are interested in the intersection of accounting and tech. So, if that's you, thanks for listening.
0: And and I would say if if you have a friend who's a bookkeeper or an accountant that's a bookkeeper that maybe they're not on top of where we're at in this space, give them the gift of the Cloud Accounting Podcast for Christmas. That is a, a great thing you could do for somebody because I think this is two weeks in a row now we've had a review where it's been legitimately changed somebody's business in
1: life. Let's get to the news, shall we? So, Bill.com, it's really weird. Occasionally, I'll turn on the TV during the middle of the day because I work at home and Jim Cramer will be on. And I don't listen to Jim Cramer, but I just like watching him because he's insane. <laughs> I mean, the show's called Mad Money, right? So, he's talking about Bill.com now. And there was an article on CNBC kind of summarizing what he said on his show, which is basically that he... Well, for anyone who's not been paying attention, Bill.com IPO'd what two weeks ago? A week ago?
0: Yeah, it's less than seven, eight days. It's, and it's-
1: it popped sixty percent. And I think today it's at thirty-eight dollars. When Jim Kramer was talking about it on a show, it was at thirty six. And he's saying that right now, if you didn't invest already, you should wait. Thirty-six is a bit too pricey. He says if it comes down to thirty-two, then you should pounce. He says, quote, I like Bill.com as a play on the digitization of an underutilized, underserved market of small business. But for the moment, I think it's a little too hot. And then today I came across an article on Quartz, QZ.com, called Traders May Be Betting That Bill.com Will Be Acquired. Again, further speculation about why did Bill.com pop when a lot of companies that have IPO'd this year have not done so well.
0: Yeah, I find this interesting. You said acquired.
1: Yeah. So, well, this is speculation by an analyst at New Constructs. This article is featuring Sam McBride. He does an analysis showing bill.com versus zero, MasterCard, Visa, Aiden, Intuit, PayPal, Square, showing their market cap, price to earnings ratio, and their price to sales. And really lays out that bill.com is at A very high price to sales ratio. It's more than double that of Aiden, which is a very fast payments, fast growing payments company. It's also higher than Intuit, more than double Intuit's. And so if you're investing in Bill.com right now, you're either betting that they're going to be able to hit profit margins comparable to Intuit and hit 25% compound annual revenue growth for the next 11 years, or are you betting that they're going to get acquired?
0: Well, if somebody was in the market to acquire them, wouldn't they have done it before they went public?
1: Wouldn't it have been cheaper? Yeah, probably. But I mean...
0: Unless, unless that person that wanted to acquire them was betting that the stock was going down and they were going yeah, to do it cheaper. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Um, so another factor is that Rene Lassert, the founder and CEO of Bill.com, he has done deals like this before. He sold his previous company, PayCycle, into it in 2009. Anyway, the, the, this analyst is saying stock traders could be betting that he's going to do it again. It would take a pretty big company to buy Bill.com, but their you know, their market cap is two billion dollars. Intuit is sixty six billion dollars. PayPal is 123 billion, Square is 28 billion, so they could do it. Some of these larger players, Visa or MasterCard, could do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's gonna like one of the big huge banks or something possibly. Um, but what's in it for them? It'd be interesting to watch. So I have an article about four reasons to avoid the stock. I am actually overall though surprised like Bill.com is getting this much national attention. It's pretty awesome from the the market. Right. It, 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 it's, a, it's it's arguably, in the grand scheme of things in the world, it's a teeny little app that adds on to <laughs> accounting systems in the grand scheme of the world. And it's getting this much attention. It's it's a little crazy. So here's the, here's the four reasons uh, this guy wrote up on why to avoid build.com stock.
1: And who wrote this? Where
0: this? Where was this? So this is an article in Forbes. It's written by Peter Kohan. He's a management consulting and venture capital firm.
1: All right. So what are the four reasons I should not buy build.com stock?
0: So, the first reason is it's losing money and burning cash. They had a net loss of $7.3 million in the year ending June 2019 and a negative free cash flow of $8.2 million. Uh The second bullet, competition is fierce. And he listed out specific challengers like Intuit, PayPal, startups like Stripe and uh, Tapalti. But I, I, there's like 40 mm-hmm. players that, that competes right. with um, and yet
1: And yet none of them have figured out how to get the accounting firms on board. In any large numbers, and that's half of Bill.com's business.
0: Yeah, and, and that's what Renee did very well with Paycycle when he built out when he when he grew Paycycle. He really got a lot of traction with the accounting firms early on. I'm going to read this uh, though. Impressive with a CEOs whose startup was acquired by Intuit, Bill. dot com's Renee lacked experience running a public company.
1: Uh, yeah, I think this guy doesn't know who Rene Lasser is. You know, in his long history. <laughs> In the tech world, like just because he hasn't run a public company doesn't mean
0: – And I think his family's yeah. history as well. Yeah, the, the whole f- – Like he like, has yeah, generational of, of generation of generation of generation of entrepreneurial yeah. successes. It's, it's,
1: yeah. So this is funny, right? It's like you know, now every, suddenly people are paying attention to Bill.com who never knew what it was. We've been following it for 10 years or more. Yeah. You know, some ignorance is to be expected.
0: And then the fourth reason is what you kind of got into was the valuation is high, the price yeah. to sales ratio.
1: They got a lot to live up to.
0: So uh I have a feeling the way the way this is headed, we will be talking about bill.com stock and the market mm-hmm. and the way it's reacting to it the next uh three, four months here. Um
1: hey, I got a follow-on to the California fiscal accounting system woes.
0: You mean the billion dollar fiasco?
1: The billion 1.1 billion dollar fiasco. This is a article in the SAC B, Sacramento B. It's featuring a audit report, an audit of the new accounting system project that was released December 17th. Here's the crazy part. So Fiscal is claiming, a spokesperson from this Fiscal project claims the program is 93% functional since July. It has been processing $305 billion in annual spending and is handling $2 trillion in banking transactions for the state treasurer's office. And yet, according to the state auditor, more and more California state agencies are missing budget deadlines because the program still has major problems that are unaddressed, despite its escalating cost. 62 state government departments missed an October 2019 deadline to submit financial statements to the state controller's office, up from 48 for the 2017 to 2018 fiscal year. And these delays potentially threaten the state's ability to produce annual financial reports on time, which could undermine California's credit and drive up borrowing costs by billions of dollars. The program has so far cost us $1.1 billion, but could cost us billions more if our credit rating degrades because we're not able to do accurate financial uh, reporting.
0: I think the lesson here as we watched California doing this is you'll see this at small businesses, you'll see it at corporations, you'll see it at accounting firms. Sometimes it's cheaper just to buy an off-the-sell mm-hmm. solution that maybe gives you 98% of what you need done versus building this this
1: long road of
0: death, building something custom that
1: it basically never gets finished. Yeah. This is probably the worst example. Well, I, I bet there's worse examples, but this, so this, is a, this is the worst example of build it yourself that I've ever seen, like totally going wrong.
0: Well, I think we've talked about that even last week. Even Illinois is making <laughs> fun of them about this. All right, all right, you, you know, you're in trouble and the Illinois uh, state officials are making fun of your state because of corruption yep. and mismanagement. Remember, InSync? Uh, we were talking about InSync hosting when they uh, they got the ransomware attack. Yep. So they've been acquired by another company called Summit Hosting, quote unquote. The deal also means increased security, flexibility, and stability for InSync customers.
1: So they are migrating all of the InSync customers over to the Summit Hosting platform. So they basically just are buying the customers.
0: Yeah, like they're using the word assets,
1: but and you hosters. know that makes sense given that Instincts brand is probably tarnished forever <laughs> with all the articles and coverage.
0: The hosting companies have been merging and merging and consolidating really over the last five years, and I think like it'll keep happening as well because they're probably not growing as fast as they probably want to be growing, and the only you thing you can do is merge. It's kind of like accounting firms that can't merge any- or grow anymore, right?
1: Well, there's no way they can be growing because people are switching off on-prem or even hosting to cloud. So it's just a shrinking ice cube. Still will probably be very lucrative for a long time though.
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app, an established company whose tech may feel a little behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds. A great app from an established company that's providing payroll for over 30 years in all 50 states. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll with simple, straightforward pricing, and it includes all their features. Employee self-onboarding, HR tools, health insurance, workers' comp tracking, and 401k. And with an accountant's dashboard and partner program combined with best-in-class integrations with Xero and QuickBooks, OnPay is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. I'm really excited to tell you that OnPay is offering an exclusive promo code only for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast to get three free months of OnPay payroll service for any of your clients that you see. Set up by February of 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/forward slash o n p a y, and use code CAP three free when you sign up your clients. That is CAP the number three F R E E. And to be clear, you cannot get this promo anywhere else. It's only available to the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast.
1: Uh, Well, speaking of companies and their problems, (laughs) did you hear about Liberty Tax? I mean, it's been kind of an ongoing issue over the last year. Uh, They recently settled with the Justice Department. This is an article that appeared in Accounting Today that uh, I spotted earlier this month, but uh, we haven't gotten around to it yet. And since tax season is coming up, I figured this might be of interest. Franchise Group Inc. is the parent company of Liberty Tax Service. So these are the franchises where you can get your. Tax is done, you walk in, right? It's like an HR block. They've got the people on the sidewalk that are dressed up like the Statue of Liberty with the signs.
0: Yes, see them everywhere. I wave all the time.
1: So, Liberty Tax has settled with the Department of Justice and the IRS regarding an investigation into the company's compliance program. They've agreed to certain conditions. Under the order, Franchise Group, the parent company, agreed that it would not rehire or engage the company's former chairman, John T. Hewitt under whose watch the conduct issue occurred, according to a statement from the company. Franchise Group will also pay the IRS $3 million, The statement added, stressing that the problems were issues of the past. The Department of Justice complaint alleged that Liberty failed to maintain adequate controls over returns prepared by franchisees and failed to prevent the filing of potentially false or fraudulent returns prepared by those franchisees, despite notice of fraud at some of the franchise stores. Some of these stores that had actions filed against them were designated as Elite 18 franchises because their performance and attitude set the standard for a Liberty Tax Service organization. (laughs) So these are like top franchisees at Liberty Tax, and there were common patterns alleged by the government at these franchisees, including concocting income for customers to claim the earned income tax credit, fabricating expenses to reduce income tax liability, claiming improper or false dependents, and falsifying education expenses. Uh, and that's a big deal because Liberty Tax filed 1.6 million returns between 2015 and 2019 annually. For tax years 2012 to 2018, claimed more than $28 billion in federal refunds.
0: Yeah. So, it sounds like a culture thing. Remember when we interviewed uh, Kelly Richmond Pope?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. At Intact Advantage.
0: She was talking about how if you have a culture that is isn't uh, unethical, that's how these things continue to happen. And like you said, if these top-performing franchises have the same patterns. I have a story about uh, two banking-related stories. Um, one is just a good example of how the world could be. So QuickBooks is launching a start, startling bank integration.
1: Like st- startling? Like I'm, I'm startled?
0: S-T-A-R-L-I-N-G. Oh, no T, I guess. It's just starling. Starling. Starling bank. Okay. Starling bank. So QuickBooks launches starling bank integration for SMEs. And so this is just an example of... It's possible to have banks with a good API that have nice API connections to accounting software.
1: Yeah, if you're not in the United States.
0: <laughs> exactly, not in the United States, because in the United States, we have situations. Did you hear about um, Venmo and uh, PNC's
1: fight? Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that Yeah, uh, last week. So, PNC shut off access for Plaid, which is what Venmo was using to verify bank account numbers and routing numbers. So now hundreds of thousands of Venmo customers and PNC customers couldn't use Venmo.
0: Yeah. And then it it started getting to be a public fight on Twitter because what's happening is PNC is telling people, you should switch and use Zelle, which Zelle is essentially the peer-to-peer payments app that the banks have built for their own own consumption to keep the third-party players out of that game, third-party players being Venmo, PayPal, et cetera. And so Venmo is telling people to tweet that... It's their data and that they should be able to own it. This issue just continues this fight between the banks and fintech. Every week, I feel like we're covering another story with this. Um, And it's funny, I found some old tweets I did from like 2009 and 2010 about, you know, the number one use case in the future is going to be who owns the data. Is it the bank's data or is it my data? Banks are drawing a hard line here. That's their data. But I think ultimately, because we talked about this last week, the customers are going to win. Whoever whoever has the customers is going to win. And what that means by who has the customers is like who is the customer loyal to, mm-hmm. right? And, and honestly, I think they're going to stick with the apps in the fintech companies versus a bank.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. So let's talk about best practices for running a firm. I feel like it's the end of 2019, if you're a firm owner, you, you might be thinking, what can I do differently in 2020 to you know, make my practice better? I've got a small tip that I think could make a big difference. I really liked this article by Ed Mendlowitz in Accounting Today about his firm and how they, the CEO at their firm, Bill Hageman, sends a weekly Monday morning email and at least one new client email a week to everyone in their firm. So the the Monday morning email is an update about what's going on in the firm, and the new client email is is about here's a new client we won. Here's how we got the lead and by whom. Here's the team that was assembled to scope the client's needs, who worked on it, delivered the proposal, who's going to work on the project, the services for which they engaged, and, and the approximate fees. And this is really important for a firm like Witham because they are growing. They're spread out in twelve offices. They've got twelve hundred staff. These emails help educate everybody in the firm about all the different services that the firm offers and calls out people who are successful in getting new clients and new business. So if you're not doing it, start sending out those client win emails, even if you're in a all-in-one office because people just, you know, they might not know what's going on. So it's a good way to keep everyone on the same page and let everyone know what you do.
0: Yeah, I have a kind of a tie to talking about um, information about running a firm. I saw that the uh, Intuit survey billing rates is out. It actually wraps up, I think, on the 31st. What's different though, is I kind of heard rumblings a little bit about how people don't want to do the billing rate survey because of QuickBooks Live.
1: Oh, because they feel like they're giving information to Intuit <laughs> that they'll use to build QuickBooks Live?
0: Yeah. So, I, so I poked in to look at um, last year's results, right? So, I went back and I looked at the, the survey results from before. And so, I find it interesting if people fill us out where it's going to be this year. Two things uh, that caught my um, hourly billing rates Went from 88% in 2016 to
1: 57% in the 2018. So you mean people are people are using less hourly billing?
0: Yes, using less hourly billing and more using value pricing, which moved from 18% to 28%. So it'd be interesting to see if those numbers keep trending that way. And then the real one that I've, I'm going to find very interesting, because this survey before was before QuickBooks Live. And people were reporting on how they gained new clients. And they said 12% are coming in from the find a pro advisor website. And it'll be interesting to see if that number decreases mm. now that QuickBooks Live is out, because that's a lot of what people think is going to happen. Like, why why are they going to go find me as a pro advisor on, on the find a pro advisor site if they're just going to be able to sign up for QuickBooks Live?
1: So that oh, got it. That that's going to be an interesting number to see if that that changes as well. And, so so these are the numbers from the 2018 survey. 2018 survey, yeah. and. When is 2019 coming out soon?
0: Uh, they said that the results will be out early January, mid-January. The survey wraps up at the end of the year. So there's a link in the show notes if people want to do the survey as well.
1: Interesting. Well, hopefully we'll get some more info on the next survey. And I, I, I'm really interested to see, like you said, the referrals, if the referrals decline from 12% from the Find Pro Advisor website. Yeah,
0: that's going to be the interesting one. Like, like what's the real impact of QuickBooks Live? Just the fact that some people are saying they may not want to take the survey, there's some impact happening.
1: So we've talked a lot over the last year about how CAS is growing. Outsourced accounting is growing. Bookkeeping is growing. Controller services are growing. More and more firms are doing the accounting for their clients and doing it on fixed fees. This is big. Something like 30% of firms offer it now and another 20% plan to do it in the new year. Accounting Today back in October surveyed firms to find out how satisfying is CAS? Is it working out for you? And the answer is not everybody has figured it out yet. Fifteen percent of firms said they were very satisfied. Forty percent said they were satisfied. Twenty-nine percent, almost a third, are ambivalent. And a full sixteen percent are unsatisfied with how CAS is doing. I thought that was interesting. You know, just put some context around um, CAS and uh, you know whether or not firms are happy with it and, and how it's how it's doing.
0: They're unhappy with it.
1: Well, half of firms are either. Over half of firms are either very satisfied or satisfied the rest are ambivalent or unsatisfied so it's working out for about you know half of firms it'd be
0: interesting to have that uh, overlaid on technology use right right because I, I imagine doing CAS, if you're not if you don't have a good technology stack it could be a big nuisance
1: mm-hmm.
0: right and of course you're not going to be happy with it because it doesn't, it doesn't scale well if you're not no. if you're not if you're not building it in a scalable way
1: well and it's important that it becomes satisfying to these firms because nine out of ten firms according to the survey said that it's important to their future. And nine out of 10 cited improvements in client satisfaction due to CAS. Eight out of 10 reported that it provides superior revenue growth. It's it's attracting new clients and it's creating new opportunities. Like the vast majority of firms said that these things. So they see the potential for it, but they're having, you know, half firms are really having struggling with it.
0: Um, I think I teased about is Zero becoming a niche app for farmers? So let's uh, ch- chat about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, uh, I, I know. I'm still-
1: really interested to hear this because um, I mean, like, Zero is from New Zealand where like I think they have more sheep than people. So that kind of makes sense. But, uh, you know, explain to me how that affects us here.
0: So, PaySauce teams at Zero. As regulatory pressures build on farmers, so this is an article from uh, New Zealand. And uh, PaySauce is a payroll app that helps handle special things for farm payrolls. But I think Zero also had some partnership with another farming app in Australia. And Zero is a partner, We've reported this as partnered with OnPay here in the states because OnPay payroll does. Uh, who's our sponsor? Does farm payrolls as well. And I'm seeing. I'm seeing a little bit of a trend of Zero really going after this agricultural and farming market. And so I'm wondering if it's becoming a niche app for farmers.
1: Well, great, because you know, that'll serve what, 1% of the population here in the United States that does farming. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is not a strategy for conquering the United States, that's for sure. You know, it might maybe it'll make my relatives um, happy. My 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 uncle owns a farm. Uh, I'm just and, saying I'm noticing
0: my... a trend or a theme here. I've noticed <laughs> it a lot. So we can jump into uh yesterday news came about came out about the Zygna breach. So are you familiar with the Zygna?
1: Uh, I think it's Zynga. Oh, Zynga. Zynga.
0: So are you familiar with that company?
1: Yeah. They they make all the Facebook games. I think they were worth a ton of money at one point, and then everybody realized that that wasn't going to last.
0: Yeah. They, they've, and usually, I think what they did is every time somebody built a, a game that got hot for um, iPhones and uh, iPads, et cetera, they would come in and buy them, right? So if people would be using Words of Friends, it comes really hot, they'd buy that. And then there was that uh, – was there like a Pictionary game or something?
1: You could – I don't know. I drop I got – I did like, like everybody else, I played those games for a little while and then I got tired of them and I stopped. Well,
0: so so they got breached yesterday. So if you played that, then like you said, once or twice, your email and password that you use for that app has been exposed. That's not out there on the market because everybody probably played one of these games once Mm -hmm. and people are lazy. They use the same email. They use the same passwords. So you as a firm owner could go to like a site like Firefox monitor. And you could put in your client's email addresses that they're using to log into their accounting system with, and you could provide a value to them and let them know that, hey, we probably need to change your passwords because your name has been breached, or your email and password have been breached. And not only will it show it for that breach, it'll show it for all their breaches.
1: Oh, God, I just went to this site, monitor.firefox.com. I've never used it before, and I put in my own email address, and I've been involved in 13 known data breaches.
0: I think I'm in 16. I'm beating you.
1: Wow. So, did I just scare you now <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, because I use a password manager, so even if my passwords were released, like it's only for that app, it's not for everything else, but this is what firm owners really need to watch out for with their clients. Their clients probably aren't using password managers, and so are using the same password for like you said words with friends and zero or q p o so or or worse, one of these payment services or the payroll app, so it's really important to teach them use a password manager, don't use the same password on these sites that you do for your financials, especially your bank account, and um, really educate them and keep them safe.
0: Yeah, and then you get this. This lets you tiptoe into advisory services, right? You're you're advising them on something that's kind of important. Yeah, and because this ripples,
1: this is cybersecurity uh, advisory, and and you could actually even put that on your website. That is as part of signing up for uh, working with my firm for your tax returns. We also you know, keep you apprised of cybersecurity breaches and whatnot. Tell you what, tell you best practices
0: because this is how people get into. I, I think if you saw recently some of those ring doorbell things that have been happening. Oh Have yeah, you seen
1: yeah, this? The, yeah. The um, people are hacking into Ring doorbells, and they're not doing anything sophisticated. They're just stealing people's passwords and logging in as the administrator.
0: Exactly, because they're basically getting the sign breach, right? Like you just said, you were you you've been breached in thirteen occasions, right? right. They're going to take your email address and your password, and they're going to try it on Ring doorbell, they're going to try it on another site, another site, and eventually they're going to get in somewhere because. People use keep the using same. the same passwords, and so all, all these smart Internet of Things appliances they're putting in their house, people are taking control of because they don't have a good password, or they're using a password that they used to play uh, Words with Friends. So the takeaway is provide this as a service. Like, and but this is a this is a pretty big story because I think every single person has played one of these games once or twice. Even you have.
1: I, I love playing. Well, I, we kind of stopped, but I used to play Words with Friends with my mom.
0: I have played Words with Friends with accountants and bookkeepers. So, I know for a fact there's accountants and bookkeepers that are in
1: this <laughs> breach. Guarantee you. So, to close out this episode, I want to talk about this article that I spotted in the Wall Street Journal. The title is, Shh, Companies Are Fixing Accounting Errors Quietly. It features an opening about Papa John's, the pizza company. Papa John's International this spring discovered an accounting error that had caused years of misstated financial numbers. they However, decided the mistake wasn't serious enough to require it to reissue its financial statements. And the SEC wrote a letter asking why, because a bunch of important numbers were off by more than 5%, which is, I guess, a rule of thumb for requiring the most serious type of financial restatement. And the company replied back saying, oh, and by the way, we know all of this correspondence because this is all public on the SEC's website. The company responded back that it uses 5% as a, quote, first step, but then applies its own 10% measure to decide if such a restatement is warranted. And I was reading this. These are the first two paragraphs of this article. And I'm thinking, this is insane. I I know that materiality can vary and we need to use our judgment to determine what is material, but even 5% is a lot to me. And I feel like an investor would care about that. 10%? That's insane. It, it, imagine if, you know, net income was 10% off, like that would totally change everything.
0: Well, then if something was off 10%, then you're just like, yeah, let's just use our new rule
1: of 15% instead now. <laughs> right, right. right. So, so, this is not just Papa John's, right? This, that's just an example of a trend, which from 2005 to 2018, this is from a company called Audit Analytics, a research firm. The number of financial restatements by public companies has dropped dramatically it fell from a peak of 973 in 2005 that's the the big r restatements 973 in 2005 it was only 119 last year so 973 down to 119 and the number of like the percentage of big r restatements versus the little r revisions that ratio has changed dramatically as well. It, it used to be, you know, over ten years ago, that most of the restatements were big ones, and now very, very few of them are big. They're just these little restatements. That's where they update their financial statements without having to alert investors. The premise
0: here is there's not less accounting mistakes being made because of oh, there's this technology and all this other stuff happening. It's just people are kind of gaming the system a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, and look, I'm not a public company accounting guy. I'm not a big on Gap guy. I've always been in the small business space. But to me, like this is this is kind of crazy that we we basically are holding these public uh, public companies less accountable, and they're making these restatements. They're not notifying investors, and the SEC is not really doing anything about it. Doesn't seem to be doing much about it. A lot of the chatter in business news is about the coming recession. When is that going to happen? And my big concern is that the underlying accounting data is is potentially a lot of businesses are misstating their financials, which pumps up the stock market, which pumps up the economy, and that you know there will be a reckoning because it's not like since two thousand five we've gotten better at doing accounting, <laughs> and I, I I don't think so. Right? If anything, it's gotten more complicated. So we should we should still be having restatements. But we're not having them. So, it just points to a lack of enforcement. And so... I wonder what this...
0: Because this graph only starts with 2005. I wonder what it was for the last 50 years. Like, how... Like, is this a complete outlier? Like, this should be be hair on fire problem?
1: So, before 2005, there wasn't a requirement to alert investors. So, this was the requirement to alert investors about accounting errors grew out of the financial blowups of the early 2000s, Enron right. and WorldCom. Right. So I, I I didn't do the best job of explaining this, but just to go back, basically, starting after Enron and WorldCom, we had this requirement that you now have to alert investors of restatements. So that's where we got the big R restatements, the little R revisions. And in 20, 2005, uh, like two-thirds of, of these restatements were the big ones where you had to alert investors. And now we've gotten to a point where it's shrunk dramatically and only a very small percentage are actually big R restatements where we're alerting investors. And it's really up to management's discretion as to whether or not they're going to do that. And it's up to the SEC to challenge management. So it seems like the SEC hasn't really been challenging. So these restatements and financial alerts to investors haven't happened. A good reason why is that when companies do restate and do alert investors, the stock price gets punished.
0: Yeah, because I think that's happening to um, Under Armour clothing right now. Yeah, right. They had a crazy. They were the way they were reporting sales to look better, right? Year after year after year after year, after year and it finally caught up to them.
1: Exactly. So, you know, management's going to do everything it can to not make a big restatement, and that means that they're going to put pressure on their auditors to not require it, and so the auditors. Because they're getting paid by management, they'll tend to go along with management. Right, it's this, this downward trend, and and they just want to not be the big four firm that allowed too many of these to go under the rug. It's sort of like don't be the don't stand out, right?
0: Yeah, everything about this the the math is not acceptable ranges, right? Because how many public companies are there?
1: Uh, I don't I don't know.
0: Thousands upon thousands upon thousands, right? right? And. It used to be a thousand would have some accounting errors, and now only a hundred have accounting errors. Right, right, exactly. That are
1: reported, right.
0: right. I'm surprised this is not on fire more. Like, there's not
1: more attention to this. For all the talk, everybody's paying attention to Bill.com. Like, this is what they should be paying attention to. Well, and this is how issues creep up and become big problems. Is that it just slowly happens? Uh, so that was my cheery. <laughs> I don't know how you describe that. that was that was my cheery way to end the episode and uh, we'll, but we'll have more positive stories I think next next episode when we talk about our predictions and what's going to happen.
0: You got to figure out how to do the big short play on this. You need to You need to figure out how, how do you come out with making $50 million when this all falls yeah, apart? Yeah, I don't
1: think I'm because smart because enough for
0: that. You, like, you discovered this uh, accounting fraud, Blake.
1: <laughs> but you know, I, again I'm just an amateur at this so I could be completely off and, and if you're a listener and you think that no, he doesn't know what he's talking about let us know, right? I'm on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. How about you, David?
0: I'm on Twitter as well, at David Leary.
1: And we'll look forward to connecting with you. And David, I'll talk to you next week. Next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.